This morning's scripture reading is in two parts. The first will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they have given according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves, first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove to the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Second Corinthians 9, 6-11. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So for those of you who are are just joining us, we're currently in a series entitled Habits of Grace. And so these are the practices given to us by God in which we're strengthened in the grace of God that he has given us in Christ. And so these aren't habits that we do to earn God's favor. No, favor has been given to us through Jesus, and we want to grow in that. We want to be strengthened in that grace. We want to be more and more like Christ. And so these are the practices that God himself has given to us and said, hey, through these, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to transform you. I'm going to renew you. And so we're considering those different practices. And so far, we have considered habits like being in the word and prayer and celebration and fasting and confession and rest. And last week, being in community. And this week, we are going to reflect on the habit of generosity, the habit of generosity, the, the giving of our money and our resources and our time and our energy. And I need to confess right from the get-go that there's a certain level of fear that I have talking about this topic. Because while generosity is far bigger than money, it's not less than money. And so to talk about generosity means you have to talk about money. And I enjoy talking about money about as much as I enjoy eating cereal. And for those of you that know me, that means I hate it. There's something about the the topic of money that I just don't enjoy. Like, look, 
give me the topic of predestination and election, talk about hell or the end times or suffering and the nature of good and evil, fine, no problem. I enjoy talking about those, but money, there's just this pit that comes up in my stomach. And there's a reason for this. I mean, really two reasons. One, you know, talking about money is intensely personal. Like our finances show a lot about who we are. And who likes to get that vulnerable? Who wants to be pressed on their finances? I mean, if anybody does that, it can feel like a little bit of an invasion of privacy. And you're like, hey, slow up, buddy, back off. And I'm the same way. Look, I don't like to be that vulnerable. I don't want you guys to know how much money I spend on gummy bears and Dr. Pepper every month. I mean, it feels a little bit like getting into the details of your life that are uncomfortable. And really, as a pastor... It's, it's hard for me to push there. It's something that, that I'm trying to grow in, but it is, there's a little bit of trepidation here. But, but this is probably one of the bigger reasons. Like, I've spent most of my life in the church, and I know how this conversation often goes. It's a lot of guilt and a lot of manipulation from pastors and televangelists and, and religious leaders. There's a lot of unbiblical promises made. Hey, if you give this much money, God's going to bless you in this way. Maybe you've been in churches like that. Maybe you've seen that on TV. But there's been a lot of abuse by the church with this topic of giving. And then also, sometimes churches, what they use the money for can be so superficial rather than advancing the mission of God and the kingdom of God and loving and serving and blessing others in need. So so these two reasons kind of caused me to be a little bit reluctant. And look, this is the second time in the four years of First City Church that I've preached on money. The first one is when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I just had to because it was in the text. It's like, well, Jesus is talking about money. I've got to talk about money. This time I actually chose to talk about it because the Bible has much to say about generosity and money and how we spend it. Like Jesus himself talked more about money than he talked about hell. And he didn't shy away from the topic just because there were religious leaders walking around manipulating people and trying to actually rob them of their money. And here's why. Because while those leaders and that manipulation is real and it is true, and I never want to downplay that hurt, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is our own hearts. The the biggest issue with money is that we have hearts that are more often in love with security and comfort and the identity that money can bring, more so than we are in love with God. Too often, money and possessions have our affections, have our love, have our soul. We give our life to those things rather than the glory of Jesus. The reason talking about money feels so intensely personal because it exposes our hearts Like your personal finance is very clear, objective data that can show where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there's your heart, as Jesus said. New Testament theologian Craig Bloomberg says, how we spend money and how we steward our material possessions is probably the most important test case of one's profession of discipleship. And that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today. And I think in large part, he's right on, especially for those of us in the U.S. Like sexual freedom and unrestricted pleasure and materialism, these are the greatest threats to our faith. Look, it isn't atheism. Most of us aren't drawn away from Christ because of atheism. 
It's because of things like materialism and wanting to not have any boundaries on the way that we feed our pleasure. And so these things war against our soul and they rob us of our faith and our joy in Christ. And so we need to be honest about our money. We need to be honest about the ways that materialism can grip our hearts. We need to be willing to be vulnerable about this stuff and open in order that we can experience the grace of God. Because look, this is not a sermon to shame you. We're going to talk about this, but shame gets us nowhere. Guilt gets us nowhere. But grace and the freedom that we find in Christ, that leads to true generosity. That leads to love and to joy. That leads to using the resources God has given us to advance his kingdom. So I'm interested this morning in what scripture has to say about the grace of God to us that leads us to being generous. And look, First City Church, those of you that call First City home, like we're in a good place financially. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I can preach this message by saying, like, look, this is not because we're in this giant hole and I need to get you guys to give more so we can get out of the hole. No, we, we, are, we have an abundance. We're putting money away. We, we are generous. Or we've been crazy blessed by the generosity of the members of First City Church, and so that is a joy to be able to say that, and I'm grateful to be a part of a church that is generous. However, however, knowing my heart and our hearts, we can't just sort of sit back and go, oh, we're good. We're mature because we're in the black, and we have money and savings, and, and we've been financially sustained all four years of this church plant. We're good. No, the mature immaturity that lives in my heart, the immaturity that lives in your heart, the materialism that is all around us, that is always looking to crash in. And we can grow in this. Believe it or not, we can become even more generous as a church. And so I want us to reflect on this habit because I want us to experience more of joy in Jesus, more freedom in Christ, more generosity to see the kingdom of God advance. And as we see at the end of this passage in 2 Corinthians, to the praise of God and thankfulness to God. So that's what I want us to do this morning. And look, for those of you here this morning that don't profess faith in Christ, maybe you're going, wow, I decided to come to church, maybe the first time ever, the first time in a long time, and the preacher's talking about money. It's exactly what I thought it was. Hey, fair, fair. But, but what I would ask is just to suspend your judgment for about 30 minutes here and allow God's word to inform how you think about the way Christians are to use their money. Not the, the pastor that you've heard that manipulated people, not the person on TV with way too much makeup on and really bad hair. No, let God's word through the Apostle Paul and through Jesus himself inform how you think about this and let that be the thing that you respond to. And if you can do that, I believe you'll be in a good place to consider the claims of Christ. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at what drives generosity and then also reflect on why we struggle with it. And then how can we cultivate it? How do we cultivate a life of generosity? So what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, this is the Apostle Paul is calling the church at Corinth to be generous to other churches in need. And so as Paul would travel around to the churches that he planted, he would regularly take up a collection for those in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem had a number of poor people. 
that the needs were greater than the church was able to support. And so he was rallying funds from other churches. And as he is in writing to Corinth, he, he wants to encourage them towards generosity. And the church at Corinth had made this gesture of intent to give, but they were being a little reluctant. They were dragging their feet. They were being a little stingy. And so to stir them up, rather than going the guilt route, ra- rather than going the shame route, Paul wants to stir them by pointing to the grace of God at work in other churches. And so he's going to point them to what is going on in Macedonia. Here's what he writes in eight, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's what's striking about the generosity of the Macedonians. Two things. One, they weren't wealthy. Paul wasn't hitting up the suburban megachurch. They weren't wealthy. They themselves were poor, were in poverty, but yet they still gave. They gave out of their poverty. And here's what the second piece is crazy about this. They begged Paul to be able to give. You can almost imagine this conversation. Paul saying, hey, it's okay. You guys are hard up right now. You're in a tough spot. Don't worry about it. And they're like, no, we want to give. We want to be generous to our brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter if we're poor because we believe in God's provision to us so much that we will give. And this is the beauty of the generosity of the Macedonian churches, is they didn't let circumstances keep them from giving. And in some ways, this is a rebuke to the Corinthian church, because as we're going to see when we start our First Corinthian series here in a couple weeks, the Corinthian church was actually well off. The city of Corinth was one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient world, and a lot of the way that that wealth was made was to kind of use a modern category for us, uh, uh, middle class. So the city was founded by people who didn't have a lot, but they worked, their, worked them, themselves up. They gained a lot of money, and so there was wealth in that city. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, here is this church in poverty being incredibly generous, and you all who have a lot of funds are dragging your feet. And so what can account for this difference? What can account for such generosity? And we need to follow the logic that Paul uses, that generosity isn't born out of a bank account, but out of grace. Look at the progression in verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There was grace given to them. Grace, so much grace, in fact, that it led to their joy, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. So it didn't matter that they were poor. It didn't matter that they were in affliction. The grace of God was so great to them, so big to them, they were joyful. And they joyfully gave. This is the power of the grace of God. When we see the grace of God that has been lavished on us, that leads us to be generous. It's not guilt It's not shame. It's not manipulation. It's when we see God's grace to us. And so in this way, our generosity is proportionate to how big God's grace is to us. 
how good he is to us. Do we trust his goodness? Do we trust his provision? This is where generosity starts, friends. This is why this is a habit of grace, because it's the grace of God that compels us to give. He compelled the Macedonian churches to give. It still compels us to give today. So we need to own this, that if we lack generosity, then it is born from hearts that see God's grace and his goodness and his generosity to us as small. We've allowed that to shrink in our hearts. We've lost sight of the grace of God to us. We're holding more tightly to other things because we think that is our hope, that that is the thing that is going to sustain us and give us security. And so this is why we hold tightly to money because we don't trust God that he's going to provide. We said, no, God, I have to do this myself. I have to build up my finances and my wealth. That's my hope. That's my trust. And look, we hold tightly to money because we put our money and our, our identity and how much money we make and the possessions that we obtain because we fail to find our identity in Christ. And we spend our money in pursuit of pleasures and materialism because we don't find our joy in Christ. This is the challenge. This is the wrestle for us. This is the the line in the sand is how big is God in our hearts? How good is he to you? How, How big is his grace and his generosity to you? Because look, look, friends, having money and working hard isn't wrong. You should work hard. And some of you should make a lot of money because God has gifted you to make money. Having money, being wealthy, isn't sinful. But here's the question over and over and over is who has your heart? Who has your heart? Where is your hope? Where are you finding identity? And what are you giving your life to? What are you giving your life to? What, do you, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What excites you? What gives you meaning and purpose? These are the questions that how we spend our money live and die on. It's not a matter of how much we have or how much we don't have. It's a matter of the heart. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Jesus tells his disciples this. Do not lay up... Tr- for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Like Jesus challenges us, hey, consider what you're living for. Consider what you're giving your life to. Consider what you're giving your money to. Are you giving that stuff to things that will last? Or are you giving yourself to things that are going to pass away? Uh, consider what, what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, like, look, there is a good investment of your money and your time and your energy, and there is a poor one. What is it that you're giving yourself to? Things that have eternal value, things that are going to last, or things that are going to decay and pass away. And, and so consider just some of the contours of this. Like, look, saving for retirement and having enough in our bank account, that's wise and that is good. Bank accounts and retirement accounts, these aren't bad things in and of themselves. However, is that what you are giving your life to? Is that what you are spending your time and your energy and and even your emotional energy to? Are, Are you watching that account? Are you monitoring that account? Are you protecting that account so tightly because that is your hope and that is your security? Guess what, friends? In an instant, it can be gone. 
And some of you, maybe you've experienced that. Bank accounts, retirement accounts, jobs, money, boom, gone, instantaneous. It can vanish. It's an insecure hope. And so if we're obsessed with our savings account and our bank accounts, if we're obsessed with having enough, then that shows that our treasure is in that and our hope is in that. Look, financial peace, Dave Ramsey, that is wonderful. Mindy and I did that when we were first married and we have benefited from that. But look, your emergency account is not your hope. Your, your, your ability to put enough away and pay cash for everything, that's not your hope. What if the Lord would say, hey, I want you to actually dip into your emergency fund to go and help this person in need. Could you do it? Or you're like, nope, Dave Ramsey says I gotta have this money. Friends, what are we giving ourselves to? What are we putting our hope in? Something eternal or something that can pass away? Or how about the flip side of this? We spend a ridiculous amount of money to go into debt <laughs> to buy things like houses and cars and clothes and all of the latest gadgets and tech. And what happens to that stuff? Hey, that stuff is great, that's fine. Look, I have an iPhone, I, we're blessed with a great house, I like my car, but what happens? Your house rots, <laughs> your house breaks down, your car breaks down, your, your iPhone breaks down, your clothes get holes in them, the sign of death and decay all over the place. Are we really putting our hope there? Do we really wanna invest all of our energy and time there as we're watching it in real time fade away? God, Jesus calls us to lift our eyes to something greater. He challenges us. He pushes us to consider what are we giving ourselves to? On and on and on we could go. Are we giving ourselves to things that are decaying? Giving ourselves to decaying treasures that are so temporary? Or are we giving our hearts to things that are eternal? Does the eternal worth and value, does the kingdom of God have us? Are we... Holding tightly, are we wearing ourselves out? Are we in a state of anxiety and frustration to hold on to things we cannot keep, to build identities that are so, that, that fluctuate and are so uh, just, just weak and frail and shabby? Are we seeking pleasures that do not last and do not satisfy? If, if we have a moment of honesty, how is that affecting you? What effect is that having in your soul? As I've asked multiple times throughout this series, is that making you more hope-filled and joy-filled and peace-filled and love-filled? Is it making you more like Jesus? Is it making Jesus big and glorious in your mind? Do you want to give your life away to the glory of Christ and the good of others? Or is it making you something else? Look, as one who lives in this, I can tell you, that when my hope is in these earthly treasures, when I'm giving myself to holding on to having enough in my accounts or making sure that my house is nice and I have all the things that I need to be comfortable, I'm not a pleasant person to be around. What are we giving ourselves to? What would it look like for us to be so gripped with the grace of God, so convinced that God is good and he will provide and he is for us and he lavishes grace on us and he gives us the things that we need that we would be generous, 
that we would give our money and our time and our energy to eternal things, that we would seek eternal treasure by investing in the kingdom, that we poured out our money and our resources to see the gospel proclaimed and disciples made and people who are hurting and broken experience mercy and healing and people who are in need have their needs satisfied and that righteousness and justice transform our city. Imagine giving your money to that because those things last Those things are eternal. Those things are worth celebrating and rejoicing over. Like, look, consider this, friends. Like, like, are we going to be standing in eternity in the new heavens and new earth, glorying in our 401ks as we stand on streets of gold? Are we going to be celebrating the houses that we lived in, standing in the shadow of the mansion that Jesus himself built for us? No, no. Let's put this in perspective. God has so much more for us. So generosity is about going after the more. It's going after the greater. This is not about drudgery and shame and guilt and walking around like, oh man, life is terrible, life is hard. No, this is about chasing joy. But our hearts are so often just drawn to lesser things. We're enamored with lesser things. We're enamored with what passes away rather than what is eternal. And so friends, let's not be our own Bertie Madoffs. Let's not allow our sin to, to, to pull us into that Ponzi scheme where we think we're investing in things that are going to last and it's not gonna last. It's gonna pass away. And if that's our investment, one day we're gonna be left empty. Let's give ourselves to something greater. Jesus tells us, trade up. Disciples of Jesus, store up treasures in heaven. Invest in the kingdom of God. Invest in something without limitation, something that is true and lasting, lasting security and lasting comfort and lasting pleasure and lasting identity, a lasting meaning and purpose. This is what Christ offers us in calling us to be generous. So if it's the grace of God that compels us to be generous, And if he's calling us out of sin and small living into something much greater, what does it look like to cultivate a life of generosity? How how can we live generously? How can we experience transformation in our heart that causes us to let go of false security and false pleasure and false identity and being prideful and stingy with our money? Well, let me give you a number of categories. The first is we have to be shaped by grace. We have to be shaped by grace. If God's grace is small to us, if his goodness is small to us, we're never going to be generous, at least not in the right way. We we need the grace of God to set us free. We need the grace of God to grow bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and to shape our hearts. And so the way that we do that is we continually go to Christ. We continually go to that grace. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 points us right to that picture of grace that is gonna make us generous. He, He says, behold Christ and look at the grace that is in Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Like here is the grace of God poured out on us, church. Here is the grace of God that will make us generous as we behold the glory of Jesus. And here's what Jesus did. He stepped from heaven willingly because he loved us as the, 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 the 
profession of faith that we said this morning, not because we had done anything, not because we earned it while we were still dead in our sins, when we were children of wrath, when we deserved righteous judgment because of our rebellion and our idolatry, and we've made money our God rather than the one true God, Jesus loved us, and he became a man, and he stepped into our sin-cursed world, he stepped into our brokenness, and he allowed that sin, allowed that brokenness, allowed that pain to touch him. He loved us up close and personal. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He spoke truth and love and grace. He confronted oppressive uh, religious and political structures. He didn't stand at a distance. And he didn't come as a king, though he is the king. He came as a servant, humbly and willing to love and to serve and to get in our mess and our brokenness. And he willingly laid down his life. He was beaten. He was mocked, he was slandered, and ultimately crucified so that you and I could be rich, rich in love, rich in grace, rich in mercy, rich in renewal and transformation, rich in generosity to others because our hearts have now been set free. Christ spared no expense to make us rich with every spiritual blessing This, friends, this is how we become generous. When Jesus becomes big in our eyes, when we see what it means to truly be generous, then we can lay down our very lives. We can give of our resources. But but we're also called to be shaped in promise, shaped that God works in our generosity, God provides for us in our generosity. If you jump to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul holds out this great promise of generosity. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So sowing bountifully, giving yourself to generosity, reaps a bountiful harvest. If we are generous with our money, it has an incredible impact. Now, is this prosperity gospel teaching? Is this, is this that, hey, if you sow a seed of $10, God will return it $1,000? You know, if you give $1,000 to the church, then God will give you a brand new car? Is it that kind of teaching? In light of what Jesus said, do you think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about? Do you think the Apostle Paul has his eyes set on something so low, <laughs> so earthly, so passing away? No, look what he says in verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. That is what we are giving to. That's what God does. He takes your generosity and he brings about a harvest of righteousness. That is the kingdom advancing. That is transformation. That is sinners coming to know Christ and being renewed. That is people being set free from sin and set free from anxiety and depression. It's marriages being restored. It's people knowing what it is to be loved and accepted by God and learning what it means to live in community. It's people turning from sin and communities becoming more righteousness, righteous and, and families experiencing healing and growth. This is what we're talking about, friends. We're not talking about more stuff. We're talking about the kingdom of God advancing and righteousness reigning. This is what God does. This is the promise that is found in our generosity. God is not like, oh yeah, cool, you gave some money. No, he says, hey, when you give, I take that and I use it to advance my kingdom. I take that and I use it in a way to powerfully transform what is going on in your world. So friends, there's promise. 
If we sow sparingly, then we're, we're going to reap sparingly. We're not going to see much righteousness take place in our world and in us, but if we're sowing bountifully, if this habit is something that we give ourselves to, if there's much generosity, then our hearts are going to be transformed and our world is going to be changed. And there's another promise here too. The promise that God will sustain you in your generosity. Like, are you concerned that if you give money away, how are you going to live? Like, God, I don't know how I could be generous because if I give anything else, then I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how I'm going to live. Well, this is probably something the Macedonian church thought of as well. Like, we're, we're poor. Can we do this? But, but when they grabbed hold of God's grace to them and also grabbed hold of the promise that God will provide for them, it led to their generosity. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks about this. This is in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What this means is, is hey, God will give you what you need to be generous. He will give you what you need to be generous. You have what you need to be generous. Don't fear not having enough. Don't fear if you're going to be able to pay the bills. Don't fear if you're going to be able to live off of what you have. Be generous. God will provide for you. And he will make you abound in every good work. You don't have to be stingy with being generous. You don't have to be stingy in the good works. God will make you abound. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. God gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. So he's saying God provides for the farmer. God provides for those who are growing food. Just as he does that, he's going to multiply your seed for sowing. He's going to provide the resources that you need to increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What a promise you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Can you take hold of that promise? Do you believe God at his word? Do you believe that he will provide for you? Do you believe that you actually can be generous because God will meet every need that you had? In, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the passage that I read about don't store up your treasures in heaven comes right after the passage about, hey, don't be anxious for anything. And what Jesus was telling them is like, hey, you can be generous, you can give your stuff away and not worry about it because guess what? Your father will provide. If that is true, friends, if our God is that good, if we really believe that, will we not be more generous? And so we need to take hold of these promises. We need to be bathed in these promises. We need to allow these promises to be shaping our minds and our hearts over and over so that we give and we are generous from a place of grace. And let me encourage you, like we get there through these other habits of grace. There's this wonderful connection. I mean, consider the habit of being in the word. This is where you encounter the truth of God's grace and his goodness and his power, his promises. Prayer, this is where you commune with God and you experience him more deeply as the loving father that he is. Celebration, making you aware of his goodness to you. Fasting, this is where I stop consuming and living for myself and recognize I can give away things. Rest, this is where I say my identity's in Christ. And if my identity's in Christ, then I can give things away, I can be generous. And community, wow, I'm living for something bigger than myself. I see the needs around me, I see the people who need 
resources and I can love them and I can serve them and bless them. When we follow these other habits of grace, when we give our lives to them, we are going to be generous from a place of grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful connection that God calls us into. And so let me encourage you, be shaped by grace. Start there, start there. And then from there, some practical steps here. One, practice stewardship. Generosity is an expression of stewardship. To be a steward is to see that, hey, everything that I have doesn't belong to me. It's actually a gift from the Lord. Like if somebody says, hey, can you watch my kids for an afternoon? You're stewarding them, right? And so you are going to be very careful because they're not yours. And so you take care of them and you honor them. And, and, and you, whatever you do with them, it's a way to honor and reflect the will of the parents. Our stuff is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. And he's given it to us to steward. And if we are to be good stewards, what we see is that this stuff isn't for me and my glory. It's not for me and my identity. It's not for me and my comfort and pleasure. It's to be for the glory of God and the good of others. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some of it and benefit from it, but it means we have a bigger picture in mind. It means we see our stuff in a bigger lens. And so we need to practice stewardship. If we're going to be generous, we need to have a mentality hey, this stuff isn't mine. I didn't just earn this, and I get to do whatever I want with it. It's like, Lord, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? What this also means is this. Like, good stewardship means you have good structures. And if you're struggling with the structures on the financial end, can I encourage you? Hey, invite someone into that. There are people in this church that are really, really good at helping people just build budgets and build structures of spending habits that you can actually experience freedom in this and be able to joyfully be generous. So practice good stewardship. Next, give intentionally. Give intentionally. As disciples, like we're called to give generously and sacrificially. We're called to give to the mission of the church and, and to meet the needs of others around us. So we give in the church, but we also give in our world. And let me just talk to First City members here for a second. We're committed to supporting the mission of this church. And, and part of becoming a member is to enter into this agreement that, yeah, I'm going to support this church and support this family. And look, we don't put in our membership covenant an X amount. We don't even put 10%. Like 10% is a good starting place, but, but, but that's not the be-all and the end-all. Because look, some of you, you probably should be given more than 10%. God has blessed you in such a way that you can give more than 10%. Some of you, you give what you can and it's less 10%. So the, the number, there isn't magic formula for the number. The point is, is you're giving intentionally because you're committed to this family. What would it look like if I gave all my money to the family down the street but never took care of Mindy? That would be a little bit neglectful, right? And so friends, for those of you who are members... Look, if you're not giving, here's, here's where you are. At best, you're lazy. And I say that in all love. I love you. But it's lazy because you're not being intentional. At worst, you're being a consumer because you're benefiting from all the sacrifice and all the giving of everybody else around you. But there's no skin in the game. And so I say this out of love in light of the grace of God. Let us be intentional in how we give. Purposeful. And here's what this also means for those of you that like to give and you're thinking, I'm good, I'm off the hook. No. <laughs> <clears throat> I 
Some of us, we set up that automatic giving and we just let it go. Got my automatic giving, I'm good, I don't think about it. No. We give purposefully, we give out of an expression of worship. We don't give passively. So there's nothing wrong with setting up automatic giving, but I want to just encourage you in this way. Be purposeful and intentional about how much you give. Be prayerful. Be willing to reevaluate and go before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me give? Don't just set up the automatic function and go brainless. No, worship the Lord through it. Be intentional. Wrestle. Say, Lord, I want to see your kingdom advance. What are you calling me into? That is intentional giving. Let us be intentional. Let us be prayerful. Let us be actively generous. And let's also give holistically. Generosity isn't measured in raw dollars and percentages. It's a condition of the heart that should affect every area of life, which means this. Disciples of Jesus, we don't get to cherry pick. (laughs) We cannot cherry pick the areas that we follow Jesus and the areas we don't. Jesus said we can't serve two masters. Divided loyalty isn't really a thing. We're either going to grow in our love for Jesus or grow in our love for our stuff. And when we cherry pick the places we're generous... It shows that our hearts are not wholly given to Christ. And so look, some of you, you cherry pick. This is the way you cherry pick. And again, love you, but we need to be honest, okay? Some of the ways that we can cherry pick. We give a lot of time. And maybe we're even generous by having people in our home and and hosting, and we're doing a lot of those things, and that is good. But you don't give actually to the church. And here's what happens. You're good at being generous in front of people, but what about when no one sees something that we need to wrestle with. Why so generous here, but not behind the scenes? Conversely, some of you, you give money and you're thinking, I'm good, I give, that's it. And God's saying, no, I'm calling you to be generous in other ways. Generous with your time, generous with your resources, generous with your home, generous in ways that are spontaneous, generous in ways that push you out of your comfort zone. So no matter what side of the equation we're on, we can't cherry pick. Christ is after our entire heart. Christ is after your full devotion and your love. But here's what's beautiful. He's calling you to freedom. He's calling you to a generosity that brings life and advances the kingdom of God. Two last things. One, if we're giving intentionally, if we're giving holistically, it means we need to give sacrificially. Like in our affluent culture, it's so easy to just give out of abundance. I was reading this article where um, Warren Buffett gave like $30 billion to the Bill Gates Foundation, and it wasn't even hard for him. And I think a lot of us, this is how we give. We give to the point that it's easy. And some of you, that might be actually a lot of money that you give, but you're not giving sacrificially. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and I'm I'm just going to put this out for you because I don't want to bind your conscience unbiblically, but he has this great quote where he says, Hey, look, if your lifestyle as a Christian mirrors the lifestyle of someone who's not a Christian that makes exactly the same amount of money that you you do, you're probably not giving enough because you're not giving sacrificially. There should be an aspect where we actually are saying no to ourselves, we're dying to ourselves, we're saying, I want to, I want. I don't want my stuff to have me, and so I'm going to give in such a way where I means I'm like actually letting go of comforts and desires and things that I find identity in. So again, I don't know what that number is for you. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to bind your conscience to a percentage, but I am saying this, that the biblical model of generosity is sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life. His generosity, he poured out everything. And so we are called to give sacrificially. Jamie Munson puts it this way. If our giving does not require us to trust God, there's a good chance we're simply going through the motions. Something that we need to consider. Finally, give cheerfully. One of the things the Apostle Paul is trying to drive home is like the grace of God leads us to give cheerfully. He's not about trying to make this a guilt trip. You, you know how you watch those commercials like the, um, the, the, the give to the animal shelter and the Sarah McLaughlin song comes on and all of a sudden you're like, you want to give like $100 to these dying dogs and you're not even a dog person, but it's just so moving. Hey, this is, this is how our culture tries to get people to give. It's through guilt and manipulation. Hey, Americans, you're so wealthy. You should feel bad about starving children in some other country and so out of that guilt you should give. That's not how God calls us to give. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God leads us to cheerfully give because God is so great and so glorious and his kingdom is so beautiful and we want to see people transformed by the gospel and his power that we're like, yes, Lord, let me give. And so may we be a community that gives cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver because God himself is a cheerful giver. And so church, we could give until we're blue in the face we could be sacrificing all of our time and all of our energy and all of our resources, but if we are not giving from a place of grace and giving out of a cheerful heart, what difference does it make? And so let us be cheerful givers. And here's the good news of the gospel, and I'll close with this. Because I know a message on money can be hard and, and it can provoke a lot of guilt. But here's the hope for us we've all been selfish. We've all made money an idol. We've all found comfort and identity and pleasure in our stuff. But praise God, Jesus died for sinners like you and me. He died for our idolatry. He died for the ways that we have been stupid with our money. He died for the ways that we have found lesser joy and lesser pleasure in other things. And he holds out his grace and his love and he says, come and know my grace and love and be set free and to live for something far bigger and far greater than things that pass away. Come be generous with me. And so this is an invitation of grace. May we grab that invitation and give our lives to the cause of Christ. Amen.